Carolina Outdoors is now in session. Come on in. The listening is fine. Wes Lawson over there, Bill Barty over here. Let's go to the friendly city by the sea, Swansboro, North Carolina. It's a town that featured the setting of Nicholas Sparks' novel, The Guardian. It sits along the North Carolina coast, initiated the annual Mullet Festival, which was one of the first coastal seafood festivals in North Carolina, but it's also home to Captain John Mauser and Tailing Tide Guide Service. The boys here on the Carolina Outdoors are heading over there right now to find out what's going on on our North Carolina coast and celebrating the Carolina Outdoors. Captain John Mauser, welcome to the Carolina Outdoors right now. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me on today. Well, thank you for being here. Here we are in January, winter time in the Carolinas. Many times when we think about the Carolina coast, we're thinking about flip-flops, shorts, sunglasses, and having a good time. But, hey, the fishing does not stop in January or the winter time. Tell us how you're handling yourself these days. Yeah, actually, I think one of the coolest things for me uh, was about 10 or 15 years ago when I realized that you could catch fish almost 365 days a year on the Crystal Coast in North Carolina. Uh, December, January, February, and March, when a lot of anglers have kind of put their rods and their tackle boxes and boats away for the winter, uh, can be some of the best inshore fishing uh, in North Carolina throughout the entire year. So um, in the wintertime, our redfish, which are normally spread out through the marsh, they start to school up for protection. And so the way I like to say it is 98% of the redfish are in about 2% of the marsh. The rest of the marsh uh, is devoid of life for the most part. The mullet are gone, the crabs are hibernating, the shrimp have pushed on. But if you can find those locations where the redfish are, you find a bunch of them. It's a jackpot. So those reds are hiding from the dolphins. They're trying to find somewhere that's, you know, two degrees warmer than the rest of the marsh, and maybe some bay or some back creek where they're protected, where there's a little bit of food to sustain them through the winter. And when we find those groups of fish, it could be anywhere from, you know, 40 or 50 fish to sometimes upwards of 1,000 redfish in 6 to maybe 12 inches of water back in, and the water's crystal clear this time of year also because of the cold weather. So um, it's an amazing fishery if you can find those fish. Um, and we try to take care of those fish because if you don't aggravate them too much, they'll actually sit there all winter long for you and you can visit them, you know, month in and month out all the way through March and sometimes early April and have those large schools of fish to fish for. Now, you're part of the state at the right time of the year, usually kind of that late summer, early fall is host to some really big redfish. But right now, those big pods, a couple hundred to a thousand redfish in a foot of water, what size fish are we talking about? Generally in North Carolina, when we talk about inshore fish, uh, people always talk about a slot fish. Yep. Meaning that in North Carolina, you can keep one fish between 18 and 27 inches per person. I would say 90% of the fish that we find inshore, whether it's spring, summer, fall, or the dead of winter, are that slot range. So 90% of them are 18 to 27 inches. Your average fish is going to probably be maybe 24 inches and about 6, 7, 8 pounds. Uh, although we do see a few smaller ones moving into the marsh that are, you know, 12 or 14 inches, and we see a few that are 30 to maybe even 32 inches. Um, the big bull reds that you're talking about that are in the summertime in, in the rivers in North Carolina, they're actually right off the 
the beaches here in North Carolina um, on the shoals and, and some of the near shore wrecks. So those fish are around too, but they don't come into the inshore waters in the wintertime. So this time of year, we're going to be targeting a redfish. What else might we catch out there if we were to hop in the boat? Um, there's, the speckled trout are still around, so um, you'll find those in a few places. Generally, you know, we're, we're sight fishing redfish. So like I said, we're, you know, 6 to 12, 15 inches of water um, up on sandy flats behind the barrier islands. Um, sometimes we also see pretty large speckled trout that are sunning themselves uh, on those same flats with the redfish. Those fish are very wary, and usually by the time you see them, you're looking at their tail as they're sliding off and swimming away from you. But if you can find those areas along the flats where there's a hole that holds, you know, four, six, maybe eight foot of water, uh, a slough coming through a creek, the speckled trout are still stacked in there and they'll still eat. And then also along the mainland, um, there's creeks that wind, rivers and creeks that wind way back, and you get those dark tannic waters that hold 10 to 20 foot of water in the back of those creeks. Those hold uh, large speckled trout all through the winter. So that's an option. And we still have some flounder that are hanging around, although we can't keep those this time of year in North Carolina. Uh, we do occasionally um, land a flounder or two in the middle of winter while targeting the redfish or the speckled trout. You know, and, and the, the speckled trout fisherman is, by and large, dedicated to his craft. I mean, you know, it, it's kind of like the false albacore guys. The weather's gross. They still want to go fishing. Isn't that kind of your observation of that crowd? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, you know, for me with redfish in the wintertime, it's, a, it's kind of a fair weather thing. We're yep. sight fishing in them, and we want uh, calm winds, sunny skies, and hopefully warm enough weather to kind of warm the flats up. The speckled trout fishermen, I'll see them creeping out before sunrise on a day that's going to maybe only hit 35 or 40 degrees, and they're heading to the back of those creeks, breaking the ice with their boat as the skim ices are trying to get back to these deeper holes where the speckled trout are. So um, they're pretty hardcore uh, versus the redfish anglers. So um, I got to give it up to those guys that, that, that spend the winter catching those big speckled trout in the back of the creek because um, they deal with some chilly weather that I'm not a huge fan of. They are the duck hunters of the fishing world, I think. You know, they, they like it when it's nasty out because um, they're going to go fishing. Speaking of, speaking of nasty, as we continue the conversation with Captain John Mauser of Tailing Tide Guide Service, I'd like to remind all of the listeners out there in the Carolina outdoor world that over at Jesse Brown's, we have Pendleton blankets on hand. We ask you to stop by and stay warm with these woolen classics from one of the last wooleries in America, Pendleton at Jesse Brown. It keeps you cozy the old-fashioned way curled up by the fireplace, the campfire, or in the lodge. Pendleton Blankets from Jesse Browns at jessebrowns.com. It also may keep you warm in the boat when you're inshore fishing with Captain John Mauser. And, John, I'd like to bring this up and, and actually compliment you, too, because something that you do that a lot of other people don't is right about what's going on, whether it be with a visual post, a, photo, uh, a photograph, or a quick write-up. And um, you've been doing this for almost a decade part-time, but 2021, you jumped in all the way into Tailing Tide Guide Service. Um, tell us about the past year of 2021 and what you learned and what you found as an all-the-time guide at Tailing Tide. Sure. Um, I, so I started Tailing Tide Guide Service uh, back in 2000 and 
12, so 10 years ago, and I was actually working a state government job at that time. Um, and between my pay and my wife's pay as a school teacher, wasn't quite cutting daycare, daycare costs and things like that. So, you know, like a lot of us, we started a side hustle to help, you know, pay a few extra bills. And we did that. And basically, I was doing something. I tried something that wasn't really happening anywhere nearby at that time, which was a fly fishing focused uh, guide service. So I just was going to do it, you know, weekends and holidays, part-time, and maybe run 50 trips a year. Uh, because I was able to do it as a kind of a niche thing that wasn't really happening here in Swansboro, um, I grew a lot quicker than I thought I would from word of mouth from other fly anglers. Um, you know, when, when you deal with saltwater fly fishermen, um, they can go fish on, on any skiff or any boat with another guide, but there's a lot of things that you have to do as far as getting the angler closer, different angles of the boat, different ways to approach those fish that allow somebody who's throwing on maybe 30 or 40 feet from the boat to catch a fish versus someone who can throw a spinning rod 100-plus feet. Um, so it grew for me, and just basically over the years, I uh, wasn't finding quite as much fulfillment through uh, the state government job that I was doing. Um, and I kind of went back and forth with whether or not I was, I was going to make the leap and and, and guide full-time, and a few things happened, and I started, basically what happened was five years ago, I started a fly rod manufacturing company here in Swansboro. So we hand make um, premium, high-performance fly rods that compete against uh, some of the best fly rod companies on the market, and at that point, between that and guiding, there was no way I was going to be able to continue and do those things part-time. Um, and, and as tragic as the whole pandemic thing and COVID has been uh, one of the positive things that's come from it was over the last two years, the outdoor industry has just done really well with it. Um, people had extra time and they, what better way to, to, you know, keep yourself safe and healthy, but to get in the outdoors and go fishing or hunting. So um, my guide service really blossomed in the last few years. And what that did was it just kind of turned on that light switch for me and said, okay, John, either it's, it's put up or shut up. You know, here's your opportunity. It's right here in front of your face. There are people, you're turning back every other person that calls you for a charter um, that wants to get outdoors. And, you know, I, I packed my parachute and I took that leap of faith. And, and thankfully, it's just the, the guide service has just really blown up for me in the last two years just due to people wanting to get outdoors. And I'm, I'm blessed for that. I've been very fortunate to have a lot of um, repeat customers that have really supported me in the last uh, year doing this full-time. Um, and I'm absolutely loving it. It's one of the best choices I've made in my life as far as uh, just on a happiness and fulfillment level. I get to take people fishing, and I get to put a smile on their face and uh, get to be in control of my future. So it's been a fantastic trip so far, and I'm looking forward to many more years out on the skiff or out on the center console with, with my anglers. Well, we're going to talk about the office that you work in and not just when you're casting those fly rods and not just when you're building those fly rods, but we're going to delve a little bit about that. You've been doing it long enough that you carried a book with you, but your reputation is as an educator and as an encourager. So with people entering in inshore fly fishing, um, how do you handle them differently than many other reputations that come if you look into Florida and some of the, the mean guides that fuss at you uh, if you're out tar tarpon fishing or bone fishing? 
Um, how do you come at it, whether it's with your seasoned anglers that you've had on your book for 10 years, or maybe it's that newcomer to the Crystal Coast um, who's looking to learn a little bit more about how to fish with a fly rod in the salt water? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned uh, tarpon guides in Florida yelling at their clients. I, you know, when somebody's on the front of your skiff, you, you've got four, six, eight hours to tell a lot of different fishing stories. And I've, I've heard a lot of stories. And I, I honestly think those guys just must have um, such a flow of tourists that come in that they can really harshly treat somebody who's paying them a lot of money for a great experience. And it doesn't matter because we'll have a new guy lined up at the dock the next day. Um, as far as I'm concerned, if I have somebody step on the front of my skiff and the next time they come down and go fishing, they decide to go with somebody else, I haven't done my job right. I look at every single person who steps on the front of my boat as a, you know, for the day they are um, an old friend that I haven't seen in years. And they're stepping up there, and my job is to – treat them like a buddy and take care of them and, and show them a great time. I can't always control the weather. I can't always control how the fish are going to react that day. Um, and I, for the most part, can't control the skill level of the angler that comes and fishes with me. About half of the anglers that come get on my boat are, you know, whether they've been doing it a year or 20 years, half of them are trout anglers from the mountains. And they fish smaller rods. They make short casts small light flies they don't have to deal with wind standing on the front of a skiff and chop in any of these weather conditions and usually they're not sight fishing they're just drifting a fly so there's a huge learning curve um for most people who haven't fished the coast on the fly um so basically the first thing you have to do as a guide is um handle expectations find out you know talk to them and see what they want to get out of that trip and make sure you can offer them what they want out of that trip. And and also just be realistic with them. You know, they may have seen a YouTube video. This has happened. They see a YouTube video, and it's 30 seconds, you know, that took two days to film of just redfish tails all around them and the fish eat every cast. That's not realistic. So my job is to tell them what realistically we might be able to do, and then my job is to um, shorten that gap between their skill level and what it's going to take for them to actually catch those fish and have a good day. And then it's also my job to make sure that they have a thoroughly enjoyable day, even if they get skunked, um, which does happen to all of us. Um, like I said, there's things you can't, you can't control all the time. So we try to add in education, whether it's education about conservation or the natural environment we're in, about the fish we're fishing for, about techniques. Um, you know, and then we also I try to tune them up on their cast. But at the same time, you have to look at each angler and some anglers, they may be so focused on just trying to see the fish, but the last thing you want to do on the water is give them five other things to think about on ways to fix their cast. Sometimes it's better just to give them a little hint here or there, drop your rod tip a little bit, keep your rod tip and line straight together, um, and then maybe afterwards on the shore or on the dock we can give a quick casting lesson or maybe before the trip. Um, so really you have to cater to each angler, um, but... You know, for the most part, I just need to make sure that everybody, when they step off the boat, no matter how many fish we've caught, they say, hey, that was a great day. It was completely worth the money we spent, and I can't look, can't wait to, to do it again. Well, you know, scrolling through your Instagram account, Tailing Tide Guide Service, there are some great-looking fish, but every single one of those clients looks beyond happy. They are thrilled. They are gratified. 
and I would wager a bet a lot of them are going to come back again. I know some of them are, are repeat customers. You say as much in there from folks who have traveled from as far away as Connecticut and beyond to fish with you year after year. That's quite an accomplishment and something I think we could all be proud of. So it's January right now as we talk with you. What's next on the horizon on the fishing report from the Crystal Coast to North Carolina? Uh, a couple things come to mind. Um, on the Crystal Coast, the next thing that's going to happen is sometime in March, the nearshore waters, and when I say nearshore, it's anywhere from the surf to maybe uh, 5 to 10 miles out. It's going to start to heat up with some fish that are going to start showing up for your March and April season. Um, the first things that are going to show up is we'll start to see some small snapper bluefish, the little one-pound, two-pound bluefish. They'll show up along the beaches, over the hard-bottom ledges, and over the uh, artificial reefs, the shipwrecks. Um, right behind them is going to be false albacore. Everybody thinks about the Crystal Coast being the fall false albacore fishery, like October and November, but and those fish are heading south in the fall. Well, we also get a small run of them for a few weeks that are heading north for the summer. So in March or April, those fish will show up um, when the water temp gets, you know, in the upper 50s to low 60s. Um, they're feeding on anchovies and silver sides and other bait fish that are showing up that time of year. Um, sometime in early to mid-April, not long after the albacore show up, we'll get the Atlantic Bonito, which are one of my favorite fish. They, they fight super aggressive, and they're really fast, um, and they blitz on the surface, just like the albacore, except they're delicious. Whereas people don't really eat false albacore, you can, you know, we've we've ate we've ate uh, Atlantic Bonita on the boat, bought some wasabi and some oh, yeah. uh, some soy sauce with us, and ate them right on right on the boat. So that's one of my favorite fish. And then right after that, early May, we'll have the uh, the Spanish mackerel show up. So that's kind of our our next step on the Crystal Coast. At the same time, I'm also thinking about just inshore, just inland, um, a few hours from the Crystal Coast. Um, we also really get into the shad and the striped bass fishery uh, in March, April, and May when those fish migrate into spawn in the spring. This is from the Tailing Tide Guide Service to the Crystal Coast, 85-mile stretch of beach, maritime forest, and marsh that runs from Cape Lookout to New River. It's a gem and earns its nickname with beautiful waters and unspoiled beaches. Captain John Mauser, that is your office that you work in with Tailing Tide Guide Service. And, uh, Man, it makes it easy to do that full-time for 2021. Yeah, absolutely. I And it's one of those things where any job can become stressful, right? The wind keeps blowing in your face no matter which way you turn the boat. You know, your angler's cast is not quite as good as it needs to be. The clouds are covering the sun, and we're having a harder time seeing the fish. But no matter how stressful it gets out there, you know, I do have to stop on back of that polling platform and, and look around sometimes and look at the spartanographs and, and look at, you know, the stingrays that are in the water below us and, you know, the, the clouds in the sky and you can hear the ocean rolling on the other side of the, of the beach. And, you know, it's, that's that constant reminder just to stop and, and look around and just be thankful for, for this opportunity you have. And um, I am absolutely blessed to be able to get out there almost every single day you know, and although we're focused on fish, there's so much more going on that, that makes it a, a great experience for me, too. Swansboro is where you hang your hat. Captain John Mauser, thank you for joining us here on the Carolina Outdoors. The website, tailingtideguideservice.com, that'll take you straight to him, and it's all on there. The about, the trip options, the photos, the journal, and the contact. Did we miss anything, Captain John? 
No, I think that's it. Uh, if anybody has any questions, even if they don't want to book a charter, if you're in the area, I'm always happy to help out and, and pay it forward. So uh, give me a shout on the email or text, and I'm happy to point you in the right direction. So thank you guys so much for this opportunity. Well, man, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on. Again, tailingtideguideservice.com, Captain John Mauser. Thank you much. We're going to take a quick break with Wes Lawson and Bill Barty and be back to wrap up the Carolina Outdoors. 